Welcome to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I am Michael, and with me is, well, should I introduce you, or do you want to introduce yourself? You're kind of here under duress. My name is John Egbert, IG number 11011101. I'm here under duress. No, I'm uh, I'm Cameron, and um, it's the show about Homestuck. <laughs> it's, yeah, this is the show about Homestuck that is here because of you, dear listener. Thank you so much. Uh, we, you know, put this forth as a goal on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash range touch, if you're just hearing this and you want to help us out. Um, to, to kind of give you the basic setup of this show, uh... I am a longtime Homestuck fan and reader. I was there from the beginning, uh, and Cameron is completely ignorant of all of our ways, more or less. Is that right? Well, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fool. You know, I'm on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, and I will be honest, I was a little bit confused, because um, what I knew about Homestuck let me let me like lay out what I know about Homestuck, and uh, then uh, then maybe this makes sense. So I was thinking, why are people fans of this show, or not of the show, but of this? <laughs> if you're listening, what is thing? wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, the, you know, why are people fans of Homestuck? Um, and you know, last night uh, or the other day, I guess, before I read this, I was thinking, what do I know about Homestuck? Well, number one, uh, Tom Hanks is in it. Uh, number two, he befriends a volleyball, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the volleyball has hair. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, there's some weird thing about digging up a dead guy and stealing his shoes. Um, number four, there's a FedEx package. And so when I finally sat down to read this, I realized, oh, that's not Homestuck. That's the movie Castaway. Yeah, it's a fair kind of mix up to make, especially with like the volleyball thing. Yeah, I've just had it mixed up this whole time. So this the whole time we we're talking about the Homestuck podcast, what we're doing, why you're such a big fan of it. I have been thinking, Tom Hanks is not that good. This volleyball can't be that good. FedEx can't be that good. Uh, but thankfully, it's a different thing. So, but the volleyball is that good, right? Just totally change the the face of comic conventions. But that's something that we'll talk about in a long time. Okay. <laughs> a lot of uh, what's going to happen on the show, I think, is me going. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'm 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 glad that you're uh, at least amenable so far. We'll see how how much that uh, holds up. Uh, but yeah, um, not only am I a person who has read Homestuck and has thoughts about Homestuck, uh, I have published some of those thoughts uh, on a piece that showed up on uh, Waypoint uh, through Vice. Uh, it's called How Homestuck Defined What It Means to Be a Fan Online, I think. If you Google that, you'll pull up um, that article. And just be warned, it is chock full of spoilers, like from beginning to end, spoils the entire comic plus the epilogues. It was written just after the epilogues were released um, a couple years ago. And so uh, I have been sitting with some of the thoughts from that this entire time, and I have felt like they could be expanded or sort of... Uh, elaborated in some way into kind of a larger project uh, because it really occurred to me that there is uh, something interesting going on in Homestuck that I think speaks to 
the present condition of uh, the world, I guess, hence the title of uh, this show. And Cameron, uh, as my longtime podcasting partner, uh, was nice enough to be like, okay, like, let's do a show where uh, we can read through Homestuck and I can kind of uh, work through some of these ideas while also getting fresh perspectives, uh, testing kind of uh, ideas that I'm having for this, you know, larger project that I'm working on. And in the meantime, you would suffer, but at least, you know, we're, we, we've met a, a Patreon goal and we are in fact, you know, getting paid for this. We are making money. And so again, if you're listening, if you've already given us something, thank you so much. This means that, uh, we have an incentive to make this a good podcast, uh, and to, for me to really like put in my work on some of the research that I'm going to end up doing later on. Uh, anything else you want to say before I kind of get into some other bits of business? Nope. Okay. I think that's it. Okay. Um, so we are not, of course, the the only Homestuck podcast. If you want to see what else is out there, because of course I've been listening to other people's Homestuck podcasts, figuring out, you know, what's out there? How do we how do we do something distinct? How do we bring something fresh to the Homestuck podcasting scene? Uh, I've listened to a lot of Homestuck podcasts, a lot of sort of uh, things that are going to be similar to what we're doing, but also I think meaningfully different and I just want to shout out some of the people who uh, I've heard and um, have had a great time kind of getting a, a sense for uh, where 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 podcasting can go when you are podcasting about Homestuck um, but if you are interested in something like a read-through podcast uh, which is what this is going to be uh, then you have your choice of options uh, some of the ones that I have listened to and enjoyed uh, are let me tell you about homestuck uh, at audio entropy um, that is a lot of these I'm going to say are maybe on hiatus because the other thing that becomes clear once you start listening to enough homestuck podcasts because homestuck in case you don't know if you've never heard of homestuck it's very very long it runs 8,000 pages give or take uh, and so People kind of take breaks uh, in between recording sessions uh, as they try to get caught up in reading. And one of the things that hopefully uh, we, we can work out, because again, you know, we're, we're making money for this, uh, we can really dedicate ourselves to keeping on a schedule and really getting through this thing. Uh, and uh, that is because of your support and, and your help. Um, but let me tell you about Homestuck at Audio Entropy is worth your time. Um, it uh, starts out with Luke and Ashley, and to explain kind of what is happening with their episode structures might require a podcast all on its own, but suffice it to say there's kind of three tracks of working through Homestuck that have uh, happened um, on that podcast. Uh, there's also Homestuck at Space Camp, uh, which I think is also maybe on hiatus. Uh, they are both fans, both of the hosts there, so that's kind of a different dynamic than what we would have, and obviously I think, uh, let me tell you about Homestuck is like a whole bunch of Homestuck fans. Something more similar probably to our dynamic is, uh, the Hamsteak podcast, also maybe on hiatus, uh, but that's, uh, one host is someone who has never read Homestuck before, while, uh, the other host has, and so it's a kind of, you know, collaborative process of talking through the comic, 
there's also uh, a Homestuck podcast. That is just the title. That's what it's called. A Homestuck podcast by Aiden and John. I'm giving you the names so you can narrow that down. That is an ongoing read through podcast. And uh, I would like to shout them out specifically because they are like deep in act six. And I do not want to jinx them. But I think they might actually finish the comic within, I don't know, the next year or something. And if that's so, uh, they may be. I don't know because, you know, I can't search all podcasts for all time. They may be the first people who actually finish all of Homestuck on their read through podcast. So uh, all strength to them. Um, And then finally, uh, I I think, again, uh, very similar to our dynamic uh, is look how sane and linear we are being uh, by uh, the Elizabeths. Both hosts are named Elizabeth, which is a great bit. Uh, I had actually considered legally changing your name to Michael. No. Uh, but it turns out they got there first. No. Yeah. I mean, you're just lucked out. Like I was going to, I was going to surprise you with it here on that first episode be like, Hey, we're both Michael now. No. Uh, anyway, uh, look how sane and linear we are being, uh, is, is a good time. Um, and I think, uh, it has another, uh, non-reader and and reader host uh and so there is kind of a lot of critical discussion uh that i think is going to be very similar to uh some of the critical discussions we're going to have uh later and if you're wondering if you have never heard of homestuck and you're wondering why i'm going through all of this uh one of the things that i think is going to be very important for homestuck and for understanding it is this notion of fandom and fan production fan creation uh in some ways like michael's big idea uh, about Homestuck, and it's not uh, hard to, to figure out where this comes from, as we'll see when we get later on into the comic, uh, is that this notion of people responding to a thing, of people who are fans and doing this work is core to what Homestuck is trying to talk about and think about and and uh, work through. So uh, I wanted to kind of point out uh, some other folks that I had listened to who had been a help to me in figuring out what this show could be. We are a critical analysis podcast and we are, you know, unaffiliated with Homestuck proper, with Viz, with Andrew Hussey or Watt Pumpkin. Uh, I know there's a lot of sort of talk about uh, things that are going to come up later for us about uh, Watt Pumpkin and kind of the Homestuck games that have followed this comic. And those are things that we are going to address kind of in their normal uh run of the thing because this is (laughs) chronologically you mean yeah yeah (laughs) well chrono (laughs) chronology is a very strange thing with homestuck cameron you don't know the real world chronology not not in the fiction but in the real world (laughs) okay well we we can that's your opinion Uh, Um, (laughs) non-diegetic uh chronology how about that all right. Yes, we will. We will cover those chronologically, uh, because one of the things that I'm going to try to do here is, uh, you know, so Cameron is kind of, you know, totally ignorant, except for all the stuff about the volleyball. And uh, we are kind of going to have uh, me attempting to reconstruct my memories of the Homestuck experience as it progresses forward and kind of when things happened in the fandom or in the reader base and how that had effects in the comic. Because this is one of the things that ends up uh, being very interesting about Homestuck is that when it was running live, it was extremely responsive to its fan base in ways that I'm sort of curious uh, how you're going to respond to, Cameron, because if you don't have that context, I have no idea how those things land for a reader. 
and so this is also to say, don't track down Cameron on Twitter and DM him a bunch of spoilers or something like that, because, uh, well, one, uh, he's not going to understand them anyway. Uh, but two, uh, I kind of want, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, response about the novelty or the weirdness of this stuff. I, I want to get a sense for how Cameron is, uh, going to process this, this stuff when it's thrown at him without any sort of context at all. Um, well, has, has any of it happened yet in what we've read so far? The really weird stuff? No, not particularly. Well, yeah, yeah. Nothing really weird has happened yet. But, okay. Well, I, you know, in what we've read so far, you know, spoilers, we'll talk about that in just a second, but uh, it it feels like a, a forum game, because mm-hmm. I guess that's what it is. Yes. But we can get to that in just a minute. I mean, well, I mean, actually, we can get to it, because that was just kind of my next thing, other than mentioning, you know... Once again, uh, I am working through ideas, big ideas. You can expect me to be pulling in like books that I'm reading, uh, research that I'm doing, not just online research, because I'm going to be digging into some forums and kind of looking at uh, archived responses to updates and things like that. Uh, But if you're familiar with our other shows like Game Studies, Study Buddies, you can expect me to be pulling in a lot of quotes from texts we've read over there uh, to discuss the dynamics that are happening in Homestuck uh, as kind of a piece of new media, digital media, uh, and as, as you said, right, a game. Uh, It is a comic now. It is kind of stable. It is, you know, a sort of traditional narrative in its own way. But when it was live, I would argue that Homestuck was indeed a kind of game. Uh, And that starts out very literal and becomes more abstract as the comic goes on. Uh, But I think a lot of these principles still apply. And so uh, you can expect me to just be, you know, pulling in quotes from uh, or ideas from uh, game studies or media theory and trying to work through how Homestuck does or does not fit these things or how Homestuck uh, might illuminate some of these ideas. uh, Because at the end of the day, I think what fundamentally keeps me locked to Homestuck is that it is very easy for me to think with. If that makes sense. Does that make sense, Cameron? That that does make sense. And, uh, you know, I just want to iter- reiterate here, too, that that at the end of the, at the end of the rainbow here, right, you have a thing you are trying to produce, you know, that that is um, that that's part of the reason why we're doing this. Right. Uh, and part of the reason why we like offered it as something, a goal on the Patreon, basically. And thanks again to everyone who is uh, supporting us on Patreon. But uh, we're going to make it to the end. Mm hmm. I'm not going to start reading this. This is my promise <laughs> to you all. I guess I could die. But here's the thing, Michael, and I'm saying this on the show. If I die during the making of this show, you have to find another person and finish the show. Okay. And my preference would be that you pretend as if nothing happened. Okay. All right. That's in the sh- Everyone knows now. Yeah, I have no excuse from this point forward. Exactly. Like, here is my co-host, and then you just introduce the new person as in as if nothing happened or was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get through it. You've plotted the whole thing out for us. We, we know where we're going, and um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's been an adventure uh, so far. I've read I've read a bit of Homestuck uh, at this point, yeah. and. Um, Hankering to talk about it because it's a weird little thing. It, it looks like we've got a couple more kind of historical facts to get through here before we talk about the meat 
of, of the thing. Yeah, I mean, so you already said I have everything here mapped out and folks on Twitter have looked it up where I've revealed kind of our reading schedule ahead of time as a little bit of, you know, carrot uh, for meeting our Patreon goal. Uh, one of the unique things about the show is that we're going to cover all of Homestuck in 13 episodes. So this first episode, we are going to cover Acts 1 and 2 uh, in, in just this first episode. Uh, but we're also, because, you know, you can't just start talking about Homestuck as if it came from nowhere, uh, we have to cover a little bit of, like, Homestuck's prehistory. So what what the hell is Homestuck? Well, Homestuck is a webcomic, at least in, in one sense of the term, you know, a, a comic from online, uh, and that is how I would have been introduced to it, because uh, I was reading Homestuck from the beginning, because prior to that I had been reading uh, Andrew Hussey, the author, uh, their previous work, Problem Sleuth, which was part of a kind of uh, banner of, of little forum games called MS Paint Adventures. Uh, Andrew Hussey was a... Uh, I talked about them as if they died. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> RIP, Andrew. Before being abducted by aliens yeah. in 2012. <laughs> um so Andrew Hussey is a, a you know writer and artist, uh, a comics artist, uh, and poster, consummate poster, and had you know a couple of comic projects, uh, particularly a, a comic called Whistles that we'll probably talk about later when it becomes bizarrely relevant, um, and another comic called And It Don't Stop, and a few other web comics, uh, Zoo Smells, uh, Inappropriate Times for Ham, uh, things like that. Um, very strange, very uh, idiosyncratic, and very online work. Uh, Hussey is working, or sort of hanging what, out. Wait, let me jump in early. Idiosyncratic, you said. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've never seen any of these other mm -hmm. works, and I imagine that the listener might not have either. So, can, can I name some other like idiosyncratic works, and you tell me how these things kind of relate to these other things? Okay, um, okay, let's go. P Perry Bible Fellowship. Um, Same universe? Different universe? Okay, so Zoo Smells is a comic about men who really like the smell of large, filthy farm animals. Uh-huh, great. And every comic is about a man smelling a large, filthy farm animal and being like, man, that smells great. So this is kind of like in between... These are a little bit trolly, you would say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, one of the other sort of famous things that Hussey did was uh, there was like a, a, a back in the days of like sp specific type of banner ads. There was this banner ad that you would see everywhere that was like, click here and get like a lifetime uh, uh, discount or like coupon to Olive Garden or something. Oh, yeah. And uh, Hussey <laughs> did that. Okay. And, and then like went to Olive Garden and reviewed it. So, yeah, very sort of weird, like willing to kind of do something in public for something online. And it is, you know, probably not at all surprising that uh, some of the forums that Hussey was very active on uh, were the Penny Arcade forums uh, and also the Something Awful forums where mm -hmm. where uh, Hussey kind of technically shares a genealogy with you and I because we were both posters on there back in the day, but probably ones no one ever cared about. Yeah, I strongly associate the Homestuck and Hussey with something awful. And, and certainly back in the day, dipped into those threads occasionally and was like, yeah, this is obviously something I have to like learn about. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not into it. Um, but 
but yeah, so and and different too from say um, something like Akewood, which mm-hmm. I also think of as a contemporary, but is uh, it's it's kind of Homestuck seems expansive, and Hussey's work in general seems expansive and kind of all-consuming, right? It'll just eat everything in its kind of local culture, where Akewood is almost unbearably like singular. It mm-hmm. is only concerned with like internal connections. Um, in that like Russian robot or whatever, <laughs> Vlad. Yeah, Vlad. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just giving people some context, right? So it's you know it's um it, of a similar I think based on what I've read so far of a similar sense of humor as all those other kind of web comics at the time. It's got this kind of vibe of like i don't know winky irony in mm-hmm. some ways um but is what it is doing is not like other web comics of the time it, it it's not um i don't know different vibe for sure yeah so the long road to homestuck begins with ms Payne adventures so uh hussy is on the something awful forums and this was a fairly common thing uh, on sa is that you would find a group of people that you kind of jived with because something awful was huge. Um, you know, before Reddit, it was kind of like uh, the uh, it wasn't equivalent to Reddit because I think there's something kind of like mainstream and public facing about Reddit that something awful never really was interested in and never uh, offered up. Um, and it also goes without saying, by the way, that old internet history, there's a lot of bad and offensive stuff in there. uh, And some of that comes through into the comic and there will be content warnings in the descriptions of episodes whenever that is relevant. Uh, And that those are things that we are going to kind of address and talk about when they do show up in the comic. But just, you know, letting you know, we're not just being uh, nostalgic about something awful here. But uh, you would meet people, you know, like, oh, here are some people, you know, here's some other posters that I kind of jive with. uh, But it's hard to talk to you when we're in some mega thread and there's like a million other people talking about all of their bizarre stuff. Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't like the way that Freemasons are given a bad rap in popular culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's discussion online. That's discussion on something awful. So, uh, Hussey, uh, starts, well, Hussey has, uh, their own website. Um, and sort of, sort of to gesture at some of the, the, problematic elements that come through an internet culture of this time the website is called team special olympics um yeah that's i you know i'll be honest I, this is partially why i have not uh dived into the, the hussy uh universe the hussy mm-hmm. verse as it were yeah uh because it's associated with a lot of this kind of stuff i think yeah i think i think i associate andrew hussy as a figure with um this kind of production of like um I don't know. I mean, it was mainstream humor. That's what's kind of weird about it. And that's something I think it's easy to forget now, right? I mean, you mm-hmm. know, there was a, a popular film in the early 2000s where Johnny Knoxville cons his way into the Special Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, every prank uh, TV show from Jackass to uh, the Jamie Kennedy experiment, everyone remembers that, people mm-hmm. getting an X, to, um, to uh, gosh, what was the Ashton Kutcher one? Uh, uh, punked. Uh, yeah, trucker hat. You're right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, in, in that, right. So there was this kind of like general, just a, like extremely virulent anti-disability, you know, anti-disabled people, um, element to humor, which I, I don't really know why that was such a prominent thing. Um, maybe it was at the point where, uh, you know, for example, certain forms of race-based humor just didn't play anymore. And so, uh, mainstream comedy had to find a place where it was acceptable to, 
um, you know, hate certain people, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't quite know one another, but I, I actually associate hussy uh, quite often. Of course, the R word was used constantly mm-hmm. and uh, uh, regularly by um, basically everyone. I mean, it was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a huge kind of cornerstone of, of both Internet and um, real world meat space culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, I have this in my mind, hussy relationship to the, particularly that form of humor. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that has been something that's like, you know, lodged in since back in the day. Well, uh, yeah, it's, I don't think it's, uh, the website is called team special Olympics. I don't think it's mm-hmm. unfair to, if not, you know, make that association, then at least to make some assumptions about the type of humor that you would find there. Uh, And one of the interesting things about Homestuck as an object, as a text, uh, is that we are going to see what happens when the Internet uh, specifically drifts away from this or not even drifts away. That's not that's too that's putting it too softly. Uh, Internet culture, sort of fan culture, is going to pivot away from that type of humor pretty hard. Uh, And we can see those tensions uh, bubble up into the comic when we get to those points, because, of course, uh, you mentioned, you know, the R word. Uh, It's used uh, not liberally, but regularly, I think, throughout kind of the the opening acts of Homestuck. And it's one of those things that really jumps out to me looking back uh, because it did not jump out at me in 2008, 2009. Right. Like I am I am not free from this. I am not like I was never like, you know, above all of this. Uh, I am I, too, am a product of culture. And it is bizarre to kind of go back and and notice things like that and be like, oh, yeah, like we we were just like dropping that. And that was kind of messed up. Yeah. I You know, I think one thing that is it is important to even have like a short historical you know, kind of memory about this kind of thing because, yeah, like I like I was just saying, it, it the <laughs> the R word in making fun of people with intellectual disabilities just broadly was a cornerstone of comedy. I would say that maybe one third of jokes, period, from stand up to, uh, I mean, this is obviously a little bit of hyperbole. It's not straight up a third, but if you look at sketch comedy from the time, uh, from as mainstream to as uh, you know, whatever, obscure, you're going to find a huge amount of that. That's a massive part of it. And uh, it was just part of our comedy culture. I mean, that that's a real, a historical reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a historical reality that we live through. And I think, the, I guess, the beneficial thing or the good thing, uh, obviously, there's no good thing about doing that, but the good thing of living in the moment that we do now is that we seem to have, as a culture, completely gotten rid of that, or at least in main parts of culture who were not interested in just trolling other people um, Mm -hmm. and purposefully offending other people. Um, I think for the most part, everyone, people who are involved in cultural production have realized, yeah, that was, that was pretty bad. Like, why are we uh, engaging in that? And uh, that's heartening, but yeah, it was just a part of it. And I agree while reading this kind of section that we read uh, for uh, the, the episode one, um, it really sticks out when it shows up. But also, if you're reading Homestuck and you're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer that that's showing up or that's awful that that's showing up, um, the way it's just peppered in and used normally in conversation is the way that it was used in 2008, 2009 I, by mm-hmm. many, many people. Obviously, not everyone. Obviously, some people realized how bad that was. But um, I would say the majority of conversation. 
Um, certainly the people I went to high school with and even when I was in college was when this was kind of moving out. And certainly when I got to college is when I was like, Oh, this, you, you shouldn't say this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Oh, this is bad. Mm Um, uh, so, you know, that was really beneficial for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's all to say, I think in its context, I'm not in any way surprised. I wasn't shocked to see it show up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Hussey has this forum, uh, on their website and, uh, it's called the, like the gang bunch fora, I believe, uh, mm. which is, you know, just, it's where it's like, Hey, you, you were a cool person that I met on something awful. Like, let's have our own kind of private forum, uh, where we can just like talk to each other and do our own stupid bits. Uh, you know, and today we just make our own discord. Like that's, that's kind of mm. how that online ecology has changed. Uh, I think if, if you want something to kind of compare this to, mm-hmm. so big group DM. Yeah. So uh, the gang bunch fora uh, were where Hussey was hanging out with a bunch of their friends, most of whom were also uh, kind of comedy writers, webcomic artists. And uh, one day in this forum, uh, Hussey posted a thread, uh, I think just called Jailbreak um, or no, I think it was just called MS Paint Adventure. Uh, And it was a drawing of a a, a really, you know, shitty quick scribble of like a stick figure in a prison cell. And it was presented as kind of just like, you know, you have just woken up in a prison cell. Uh, What do you do? And whatever was kind of the first response to uh, that picture was the next panel that was drawn. It became what you called earlier a forum adventure. This was not newer novel these things had been running on something i mean on forums generally but i remember several high profile ones that ran on uh the something awful forums specifically i think of uh uh dropsy the clown um if you know that adventure game uh that is like it is an actual adventure game that is out now that started as a forum adventure back on some on something awful way way back in the day mm-hmm. uh so other people kind of did this yeah, if you're familiar with uh, Hypnospace Outlaw, mm-hmm. the game, uh, Jay Tholen is uh, one of the developers of that, one of the kind of key developers of that, and Jay Tholen's previous game was the Dropsy the Clown Adventure, and then previous to that did this long form, I mean, years-long running um, thing. I, I followed Dropsy the Clown for quite a while, and I was aware of Jay Tholen's work. So mm-hmm. if you've played hit indie game, Hypnospace Outlaw, you too have some sort of weird connection to the primordial soup of Homestuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Hussey starts this uh, game called Jailbreak. Um, you can go back. I, I, it's still archived on homestuck.com if you go look at it. Uh, and also just as a note, we were not using homestuck.com to read because Flash was phased out. We are using the unofficial Homestuck archive, which uh, does a great job of kind of uh, making into an app uh, a browser that is just for viewing Homestuck and you get kind of the flashes in their native format. And, and it's very helpful. Thank you so much for the people who put their uh, work into that because uh What happens is that when you have a story that you're telling and you are literally just following like whatever your readers are telling you to do, things get weird and complicated very fast. Uh, If you go back to Jailbreak, um, it also gets gross pretty fast. Gross and grotesque is how I would describe it. And again, this is very much like the, you know, late 2000s Internet humor. Uh, But something clearly 
uh, worked for Hussey here because uh, eventually they made their own website, MSPaintAdventures.com, where they started doing this kind of, you know, for in a public facing way when you gave your commands uh, to the to the game which is modeled in some ways after a, an old school uh, text parser adventure game. So famously, Jailbreak uh, opens with this nondescript person waking up in a jail cell and there is a pumpkin behind them. And uh, some the you know reader command, someone says, you know, grab the pumpkin. And the very next panel is what pumpkin and a bunch of question marks. And the panel is the exact same, but the pumpkin has been removed. Mm. So it is a, an old school kind of text adventure game. But at the same time, uh, it is subverting kind of the quote unquote rules in that uh, the narrator uh, narrator slash parser. Weirdly enough, this is uh, a lot of crossover here with our latest game study study buddies episode um, on uh, uh, Buckles's interactive fiction uh, where she has an entire chapter where she's trying to figure out in Colossal Cave Adventure, what is the parser narrator? This thing that says, uh, I believe how it introduces itself is, uh, I will be your eyes and hands, Mm -hmm. which is such a weird thing to say, just by the way, like the compute, like the text pops up and it's like, you know, welcome to adventure. I will be your eyes and hands. So it's this thing, this computer program that you have to figure out how to talk to so you can interact with the virtual world that it is describing to you. Uh, And this requires, you know, you learning what commands it understands and how it's going to like deliver information to you. Uh, and it's all automated, right? It is a computer program. The difference with something like a forum adventure with something like jailbreak and the thing that, uh, Hussey is making, uh, a lot of hay out of is the fact that when it's a person doing that, uh, you can get up to all sorts of shenanigans, like just on a whim saying that there is no pumpkin because you want to screw with the reader. Essentially, it's that trolley instinct that you've already mentioned, Cameron. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I think something that is very clear based on what I've read of Homestuck so far is that that there is a a, a double move, right, of of the Andrew Hussey experience broadly, which is here uh, presenting you with the rules of a game. And then as you interact with the rules of the game, changing the possible interpretation of what those rules could be. Mm hmm. While still asking you to play by them. Because mm-hmm. that that's all through everything I've read of Homestuck so far. And obviously, we'll talk about you know that kind of thing going forward. But I think that's probably going to be very helpful broadly for the next, you know, however long this takes us to do. Which is that there are rules, and then there are ways that the, the system, being the author, meaning Hussey in this case, is going to interact with those rules that are um, unexpected, mm-hmm. uh, even as whoever was playing the game at the time uh, is participating in it. The thing I will say is that I, I hadn't thought about this before, but this really kind of feels like classic genie stuff. So genie count one. Yes, exactly. Genie count one. Uh, you know, I wish my father returned to life. Ho, ho, ho. He's a zombie. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of thing. Like everything that people are doing, these forum interactors in Homestuck that I've seen so far half of the reactions are like straight up genie logic of like you didn't or like or you know uh, uh like uh 
making a deal with the devil kind mm-hmm, of thing mm-hmm. where it's like you said this but you use the wrong preposition Ooh. <laughs> like um that that's 100% the vibe here of um of how like the the interactive fictiony kind of setup works and mm-hmm. so i'm curious about how that continues through uh, you know homestuck is famously and i know this famously meta you know it famously um kind of steps outside itself or or talks about its conception or brings its own conception into the works, I guess. I don't know. Um, and I imagine this kind of like uh, demonic logic <laughs> will <laughs> extend uh, through that. But I don't know. I haven't, I haven't read enough of it to, to 100% definitively make that call, but that is something I've noticed already. Well, we will see. Uh, so uh, Jailbreak is the first MS Paint adventure. It lasts, I think, maybe a month or two and then fizzles out. Uh, uh, Hussey goes back to it uh, a little while later and tries another adventure called Bard's Quest, or I think it's just Bard Quest. Uh, and how this one works, how it is distinct, is that uh, you are controlling a bard who is like going to see the king. And uh, when it forks, uh, so like, you know, the, the, the bard has a choice of what to do rather than, uh, those choices being exclusive, both of them would be followed simultaneously. So you would have like multiple plot threads kind of happening in parallel. This lasts very, very briefly, uh, because I think, I mean, you know, I, I have not read Hussey say anything about this, but just my sense of having looked at the thing, it's like, yeah, uh, Writing and illustrating multiple simultaneous plot lines in response to reader feedback kind of seems like a nightmare. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other people who were doing this kind of, obviously beyond the forum game kind of stuff, but I don't think that, I can't think of anything that that reached this level of like both complexity and fame that's like this. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing that really helps it achieve achieve that is that everything in kind of the uh, MSPA uh, sort of arena crystallizes in the next adventure, uh, Problem Sleuth, which starts on March 10th, 2008, uh, and uh, ends one year later on March 10th, 2009. Uh, And Problem Sleuth is presented as, again, a traditional kind of interactive fiction slash graphical adventure game uh, where you play Problem Sleuth. Uh, And this is this is, you know, you can tell from kind of the ways I think that I've described these stories so far. uh, They're all very pared down, like the character in Jailbreak does not have a name. It's just like the the Jailbreak guy. Uh, The bard in Bard Quest is just the bard Uh, and Problem Sleuth is Problem Sleuth. Uh, he sets out to, uh, you know, be a be a hard boiled detective, uh, but it turns out he's stuck in his office and can't get out because the uh, doorknob has been removed um, and, and things of that nature. It's it's a, what you called that genie logic where here is here is the scene I have sketched for you. It is Problem Sleuth's office. Problem Sleuth, leave your office. And then it turns out all of the stuff that you're seeing uh, is not actually what it is. Everything has been sabotaged. Uh, but the thing about Problem Sleuth is that it kind of holds together uh, and it really grows a fan base. Now, I'm sure that there are uh, fans of of kind of the earlier things, but Problem Sleuth is when I got pulled in. And I remember very specifically this because I, I don't know why this is one of those things that just sticks with you. I remember Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics. 
um, mm -hmm. in a news post one day being like, hey, you should read Problem Sleuth. And so I started reading Problem Sleuth. And uh, also, I guess, you know, the context for me, I think, uh, in sort of like long term stuff is that like I was huge into web comics. I don't know about you, Cameron. I knowing I thought that I cared about web comics, but certainly at the time. But after having known you for a few years now, no, I didn't <laughs> care about web comics. <laughs> that, that's basically my answer. <laughs> like I, I read pictures for sad children uh, that came a little bit later. Um, I read uh, Perry Bible Fellowship. I read Aquid for a little while, but wasn't huge into it. Um, and a few other things too. I was weirdly enough, like not into, and I don't get a sense that you are necessarily either, but not really into like the video game webcomic world. Mm -hmm. Um, I was much more into like this other, you know, kind of, um, depressed people on the internet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, universe um and and i'm sure like a bunch of other ones i, re I remember reading quite a lot of them mm -hmm. um but uh I, I think i was much more of a browser than i was like someone who stuck with it yeah yeah i uh I you you are correct in that I was not deep into the gamer web comics. Um, I did not read Penny Arcade uh, regularly. For example, I would kind of uh, read it in sort of spurts. Uh, but in terms of like depressed people on the internet, I think probably at my uh, sort of point of of greatest excess, I had a favorites folder uh, that had I think it had like forty or forty five web comics that I was regularly reading. Oof. I, I similar. That's a thing. The youth don't understand this, Michael, mm -hmm. that back in the day we had to create like a, f a favorite websites folder. Uh -huh. And uh, it was just a big list. And we would go there. I similarly, I probably had 30 or so at, at this point, certainly like 2008, 2009, I'd graduated into because Google Reader had, was around at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I had graduated to putting them all in a Google Reader, mm -hmm. like RSS. Oh, RIP. I was like, I was, I, yeah, I know. RIP Google Reader. Um, the, uh, dinosaur comics that you mentioned before, dinosaur comics was huge for me. I read a lot of the, I read a lot of, uh, mm -hmm. Ryan North's work and even, um, I, I'm not going to get deep into the thing, but yes. So I read, I read uh, quite a few of, of that, whatever that universe was mm -hmm. of, uh, web comics. Yeah. So, uh, I was, uh, I, the, the point that I guess that I was, uh, wanting to make with that was just kind of like, if you were a person who made a web comic that I liked and Ryan North, uh, was and still is i've dinosaur comics is still going uh if you told me at this particular point in my time uh like hey go read this other web comic too i would just do that uh so i started reading problem sleuth and it was wild because it was a forum adventure that was working at a clip uh that i had and i had seen forum adventures before but it was working at a clip that i had never quite seen these things go at and it was working well uh in the sense that uh problem sleuth introduces actual puzzles um and i say actual puzzles kind of loosely in the sense that uh you know, they're they're never going to be solved straightforwardly. Uh, but there are all of these like by the time you get to the end of Problem Sleuth, there's all these things where you're like uh uh the, you, well, you quote unquote, but like you have a character who is uh turning a ship's wheel that is also like when the ship's wheel is turned, the entire like spatial orientation of the universe is also shifting. Uh and you have to uh be turning this in just the right way to get other things to line up in in just such this other way way so that uh you know a certain effect will kind of happen right it's kind of um 
the the tendency of adventure games to take these kind of spatial and logic puzzles and just blow them up as big as they can possibly get. Uh, and it's wacky and weird and fun. So I think, you know, this is uh, it's probably before this, but uh, there this is when really you start getting a extensive uh, MSPA fan base and the forum culture, which I will admit I was not deeply into uh, uh, because I had I had other forums that I was wasting my life on, I guess I was I was content to just kind of read these. Uh, but you, you start getting like fan adventures, uh, people kind of doing their own thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get this nice, you, what we, what today we call a community, uh, in, in kind of contemporary internet speak, there's kind of an MSPA community, uh, problem sleuth. Ends. Well, so uh, here, here's a, here's a real quick question for you here, right? So, uh, Hussey at this point for problem sleuth is like hammering out like 10 to 30 pages a day or something like that. Right. It's like a huge amount. Is that true? Uh, probably 30 pages a day um, during certain chunks of updates when Homestuck is at its height. Uh, but overall, yes, the, the comic is known for being uh, updated a lot and very consistently updated um, on the, the moments of like great and rapid updates. I will you know note those in kind of the oral history, I guess, that's going to be accompanying this. What does Andrew Hussey do? Like as a as a job, at least by the time that uh, Problem Sleuth comes around, it seems like probably merchandise sales. Yeah, that's because that's that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Or that's partially partially the reason I asked the question is that I think you know if we're if we're trying to kind of reverse construct what happens to make Homestuck um, grabby in that way, right? Where people are like, oh shit, I want to be a part of this community, or I I want to participate in this. Part of it has to do with density. You mm -hmm. know, this thing is just coming out at a quick pace and it's moving pretty quickly to the extent where like, you know, people talk about how if you read Homestuck after the fact, after it's quote unquote over, you're not even experiencing Homestuck, man. <laughs> and it's like, okay, fine, whatever. Like, I, I guess if that's like, I guess you had to be there, whatever. But um, that had to be there-ness, that feeling is afforded on the back of like labor, right? Like mm -hmm. that's happening because of some other processes that are happening. And um, Hussey had the capability to sit in front of a computer for hours at a time and like bang out responses to uh, forum commands essentially. Um, because I think that that does in some ways matter about the both the density and the kind of interrelatedness of the comic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the comic creates such complex relationships with its fan base because it's it's talking to them, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that that happens. You can't do that if you're working twelve hours a day digging ditches. You yeah. Know? So there's something going on with the the knowledge economy or the kind of uh, you know cognitariat. You know, mm -hmm. depending on if what strain of Marxist uh, you are. Uh, that has that that has to do with how Homestuck comes about, and I'm sure that we'll return to that later because uh, computer games and sitting in front of a computer is a big part of it. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So, uh, Problem Sleuth happens, uh, does really well, uh, tightly controlled one year, and then a month later, on April 10th of 2008, uh, the Homestuck beta launches. Uh, the Homestuck beta is an attempt to start Homestuck, except it would have been entirely in Flash rather than uh, kind of traditionally, uh, you know, still image or animated GIF uh, illustrated. Um, 
this turns out to be a mistake. <laughs> and Hussey very quickly is like, I cannot uh, do this entire thing in Flash. Uh, so things get put on hold. And then three days later, Homestuck relaunches officially uh, on April 13th, 2009. And we are introduced to a young boy standing in his bedroom. And Homestuck has, has started. Uh, and for a good long while, uh, for the first couple acts at least, it feels uh, like an elaboration of stuff that happened in Problem Sleuth, because it is. And then at a certain point... Uh, and I like this is when we get to this in kind of like my my recollection of these events, uh, I have very strong memories of this. There is a point at which Homestuck kind of like hits the gas and things get, start getting weirder than you could have ever expected. And I don't just mean that about like what's happening in the comic, but I mean, like what's happening outside of the comic as well. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to be uh, talking about as we read through it and reflect on the comic itself and, and how it works. Uh, here, I'm just going to read. So, you know, part of the work that I've done for this is that I am buying the Homestuck print edition mm -hmm. uh, that is being put out by Viz. And I am doing this uh, because there is author commentary in the print books. Uh, they are not a replacement for the like online version. I believe they are marketed as a kind of collector's edition. And the author commentary is sometimes very illuminating and sometimes just uh, hussy talking about the comic in ways that uh, do not make sense unless you've already read it, which is a fascinating thing. Like the, the author commentary uh, is just, if you are not someone who has read Homestuck, like completely unhelpful most of the time which is top tier Hussey, I guess, right? I would expect nothing else. But I just want to read here from the introduction that Hussey writes. Um, you know, Homestuck is a story that was made for the internet. It was designed to exist on the internet, crafted to exploit the versatility of the internet, and posted page by page as quickly as I made each onto the World Wide Web, a thing that is often referred to by cyber-savvy dudes as the internet. And this thing you are holding, this rigid rectangular thing in your hands, this is a book. Um, and then they go on to kind of explain, you know, like this, the the experience of this book and the experience of the thing online are not really equivalent for for a couple of reasons. Um, but then they explain, you know, what what do you need to know about Homestuck and how it works? For the better part of the first three acts, that is for well under half the complete series, all of the commands preceding each panel were reader submitted. Readers on the internet would suggest an action they wanted a character to take, and I would choose one from the pile and illustrate the results. You'll find this method generates quite the garden path through a story, leading to a good deal of meandering, silly diversions, gags, trial and error from the quote-unquote player, and impromptu story-crafting decisions. I am playing the role of a dungeon master, a game engine responding to input, and an improv comic all in one. Many story points are planned well in advance. Others arise organically through the manifold interactions with readers. The product is the oddity before you. Hmm. So uh, just to kind of like, if if you have, if this is the first time you have ever tried to figure out what Homestuck is, you know, welcome to the podcast. And, and uh, that hopefully gives you some idea of, of what to expect. Well. Well, we've broken this thing up into some units. Yeah. You know, after one hour of preamble here. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I'm going to say, great, great job getting it into an hour here. Mm -hmm. I thought we were in for two hours of preamble. 
Um, but after an hour of preamble, I said, I started reading this and I said, Michael, I want to talk about the first 30 panels in this thing mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as one unit. Mm-hmm. Because, because I believe initially you said, hey, let's, um, uh, you know, uh, let's <laughs> talk about hundreds of pages of this in a whack. Mm-hmm. I said, I need to go a little bit slower than that. Mm-hmm. Is this a place? For us to reveal the structure of the show, truly. Yeah, I mean, if if you are a fan of Homestuck, uh, then you will already have maybe sensed something is off. Um, here's our shitty twist. Uh, this is episode one, part one. We will, in fact, have 13 episodes, uh, but I have broken them all into parts so we can cover uh, different chunks of the comic at different times. We do, in fact, have a reading schedule. That was not a lie. Uh, But because, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, pay my respects, I guess, to uh, where we're coming from, or I guess where I came from. Uh, There there's your uh, beginning bad twist. uh, Episode one, part one. Uh, we will be talking about everything up until page, I think, 47. Let's go. Let's go, John Egbert, huh? Uh-huh. So what's going on with that? So we begin with a young boy standing in his bedroom. It is his birthday. It is April 13th, 2009, which is the day that the gomic began. And this boy does not have a name. The first thing that the readers are queried on is what this boy's name is going to be. And someone tries to name him Zoosmell Poop Lord. Uh, yep. Yep. Zoosmell being uh, a, a reference to Zoosmells, Hussey's older comic about men who love the smell of filthy animals. And so right off the bat, we establish the the abstraction of kind of this weird gaming apparatus that is already framing these characters. Uh, but also the fact that that apparatus is going to push back on certain types of input. It's not going to let us name this kid Zeusmel. Uh, it is going to name him or it will let us name him John Egbert, which was the first uh, reader submitted uh, name. So John Egbert is not a reference. It doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's just this this little kid's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, so yeah, I, I you know we obviously well maybe not obviously based on what we've said so far, but we're not going panel by panel necessarily. But it, it will uh, behoove you. I don't. You you do not have to have read Homestuck. You don't have to read along with us to listen to the show. I don't think. I think we're going to give you a good enough uh, maneuver here. But uh, I, I I will say that I'm going to be referring to certain things in the images, and I'll try my best to say which panel numbers these are, so you can mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know look along if you want to, or just kind of know what we're talking about or where we're referencing. But uh, these first 30, the reason I kind of want to talk about this is these first less than 50 panels uh, is they're setting up the rules, you know, of, of how we interact with this thing. And I think for you, Michael, we had a little bit of a conversation, a little bit of a back and forth about how much to do per episode, or at least for this first episode. Because I think for you, all this is very natural, right? Like, you you live in this mode of reading at this point. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, coming into it, like, the information density of a single panel of Homestuck is nigh overwhelming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because we, like, we, like, jump into 
basically this this kind of master shot of John Egbert's room, and it, there's a shitload of things going on. And and uh, again, like I said, I'm not trying to read every panel, but this description of this just gives you a good sense of like what happens when we get a descriptor in Homestuck. So your name is John. This is the 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 caption. Your name is John. As was previously mentioned, it is your birthday. A number of cakes are scattered around your room. You have a variety of interests. You have a passion for really terrible movies. You like to program computers, but you were not very good at it. You have a fondness for paranormal lore and are an aspiring amateur musician. You also like to play games sometimes. Magician. Oh, what did I say? You said musician. Well, maybe that. I don't know (laughs) one way or the other. Just because it doesn't say doesn't mean it's true. But yes, magician. And uh, uh, and it says, what will you do? And kind of, you know, that opens up into the adventure kind of uh, vibe of it, right? But, But what's happening in this panel is like a huge... There's just a shitload going on here. <laughs> like, there's so much going on. So it's a you know for most for the most part a black and white screen. It is set up in an isometric perspective. So you know, think of um, and this is going to become important later. Think of The Sims or think of like a um, you, you know a Fallout. I guess yeah. something like that. And there's a mixture of art styles. So there is a highly un John Egbert himself, for example, is highly um, iconic. You know, if we're mm-hmm. thinking about like a Scott McCloud understanding comic style spectrum between realism and iconicity. You know, um, uh, McLeod says, you know, realism gives you the the granularity of the real world. You see the wrinkles on the face. Iconicity is the smiley face. You know, circle. Big, big smile, two eyeballs, but we know what it's meant to stand in for, right? They, mm-hmm. they, they are different forms of representation that stand in for different things. So, like, John Egbert is totally non-realistic. He's figural. He's, like, a head. He's, is he wearing glasses? He's got square eyeballs. Yeah, he, those are glasses, yes. Okay. So, but, but, right, I have to ask that question, because, like, in, the, in this shot, in this big shot... Not connected. So maybe he's just got square eyeballs. I don't know. He's wearing a uh, t-shirt that might have Slimer on it from Ghostbusters. It's uh, it's we're going to, I think, name, learn the name of that character later. And it's just like a, an off brand Slimer. But yes, got it. Um, But then so so highly iconic to the point of where I'm having to like, you know, ask these clarifying questions. But then has like a CD stand that is incredibly detailed and extremely of the time period, mm-hmm. right? So it's like covered in, it's got a lot of CDs on it. It rotates. You know, I had one of these certainly mm-hmm. at the time. I bet you did too, Michael. Yep. Um, uh, you know, for my computer games and, and my CDs and whatnot. And then there are posters on the wall that are the actual posters from the movies, but Tur- like transformed into, into grayscale mm-hmm. and then like uh, transformed in Photoshop, right? Into being the right, like, you know, looking like they're on the wall. Mm-hmm. So a huge amount of effort is going into making this this weird collapse of different aesthetic styles kind of coherent with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these look like posters that would really be in this room, but they don't have any, even remotely, the same kind of representational strategy. They're not trying to show the world in the same way. Um, and you can tell that this is kind of built for adventure gaminess because they're... This world is meant to be interacted with. There are these cakes. 
there is a calendar on the wall that's hyper detailed compared to say the bed or compared to even the computer for example there are these flyers for this thing called suburb around the room that we'll learn a little bit about more later so there it's set up like an adventure game from the 80s in that there are things that stick out as odd that we are being prompted or forum goers at the time are being prompted to interact with in particular um I, I, you know, I also have to just register my uh, disbelief that uh, w- someone would put Con Air uh, into the category of terrible movies um, <laughs> uh, against Mac and Me. Yeah. Or Deep Impact. Like, Deep Impact is great. Con Air is great. Those are both good movies. So I did not uh, mark this in... Uh... So I have like little, uh, you know, tabs that I put into the books where there is mm-hmm. author commentary that I think is relevant. And I didn't think to mark this one, but there's a bit in the commentary somewhere where Hussey says, like, you know, really, like the only truly heinous film on John's wall is Mac and me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like, <laughs> like the rest are, or OK. I mean, Ghostbusters 2 is very bad, but uh, it's not even remotely on the same level as Mac and me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um <laughs> The the interesting thing actually about this and the Con Air thing is that this this movie kind of anticipates the weird uh, memification of Nick Cage and in fact might be responsible <laughs> for it, I think, to some degree. Yeah, I, yeah, I do think that is really weird that that Nick Cage because because Nick Cage shows up in the chat logs a few times uh, in this too. And yes, like this, this um, is the ironic appreciation of Nick Cage is already fully formed in like 2009 here which i was really shocked about and and i think you're right i think in some ways this primes internet culture for doing that um the one other thing i want to point out here that that's just happening in the singular image by itself and uh this is uh, maybe this the past uh, five minutes or so have revealed that um you know uh reading images reading images is my passion mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um but that out you can see outside of john egbert's window and it's in full color out there mm-hmm. and this is a mixture of black and white for the most part black and white on the inside and so there is you know a tree branch outside with some leaves on it blue sky when we look out the window for the most part it's in full color so there's a really uh purposeful choice being made here to domestic space, black and white, MS Painty kind of vibe to it. And then outdoors is a different kind of aesthetic universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess a question for you, Michael, this is a, a, a weird question, but one that I'm, I'm curious about answering and maybe there isn't an answer. Is this made actually in MS Paint? No, the only page of MS Paint Adventures that was made in MS Paint was the first page of Jailbreak, after which point uh, Hussey has said uh, they realized this is way too hard. MS Paint is a crappy tool and everything else uh, past that was Photoshop. Gotcha. That's what I would assume, just because assets and things like that move around so much. And um, it seems like Photoshop would make it very easy. I mean, not seems like Photoshop would make it very easy to do that and redrawing it. MS Paint would not. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. I'm just curious uh, and I'd never really thought about it. Um, yeah. And uh, just to sort of put this in the context of MSPA more broadly, uh, of course, uh, Jailbreak starts out. Jailbreak, I think, gets some color in it eventually, but it's totally like black and white and stick figures. Uh, uh, Bard Quest is also, I think, totally black and white. Uh, Problem Sleuth is very sketchy, very black and white, but key elements uh, of that world end up being represented in color. Uh, color is very, well, Color is very important to Hussey generally. There are fine-grained distinctions about color that Andrew Hussey makes 
pretty consistently and and when color is deployed and how it's deployed uh to the extent that like by the end of the show cameron you and i are going to be talking about like specific hex colors in terms of their plot relevance great great um but yeah so uh uh Homestuck is, again, kind of carrying forward something from MSPA more generally, something from Problem Sleuth, uh, but it's not reserving the color for kind of like a big reveal when a character gets a power-up. Uh, we have a kind of distinction being made between uh, where are things sort of more colored uh, in, you know, uh, outside versus inside in the domestic space and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a little bit, the, the kind of flow of the thing here is that it's just some straight up you know, adventure game stuff that's happening here. Uh, I haven't read Problem Sleuth, but I know enough about Problem Sleuth that the opening here of like John Egbert looking for his arms is the beginning of Problem Sleuth. Mm -hmm. And Jailbreak. Oh, is that also in Jailbreak? Yeah, it's the same sort of stylization of uh, the the stick figure not having arms and the first command is, you know, quickly retrieve arms from wherever. And then the next panel Mm -hmm. is he already has arms, you idiot. Gotcha. Okay, so this is like part of the referentiality already, yeah. but but basically John Egbert's just running around his room. But he uh, the first real characterization I think we get of John Egbert uh, is uh, when he opens his like magical chest, and <laughs> we learn all these things about him. But but this is I you know I would really say this is where the the humor sticks out to me the most in the sense of like getting a sense of the shape of what Hussey finds funny. Um, outside of what the community is giving, you mm-hmm. know, the comic and what what's outside the thing, because it's it's in the moments where the comic is responding that you get a sense of what the comic is presenting as humor and what's not. So, uh, in this chest is like a bunch of different stuff. Um, I can just read it. Um, two fake arms, right? So, uh, commenting again on this. Um, I, I, you know, the arm thing, mm-hmm. uh, a pair of trick handcuffs, one stunt sword, one magician's hat, one, one pair of beagle puss glasses, several smoke pellets, several blood capsules, and one copy of Colonel Sassaker's daunting text of magical frivolity and practical japery. And one copy of Harry Anderson's wise guy by Mike Cavaney. And again, the density mm-hmm. of just... <laughs> shit going on (laughs) and that's part of the humor too part of the humor is look at all this crap (laughs) yeah right it's a there is something like amusing in and of itself about the ability uh to just like encapsulate this much detritus (laughs) yes is do you is has andrew hussey ever talked about david foster wallace not to my awareness because this is very david foster wallace it is like the list or or the kind of avalanche of pop culture stuff, even though it's not our pop culture, right? But this kind of avalanche of cultural crap mm-hmm. kind of just running into you mm-hmm. is very much of, I, I think, the David Foster Wallace sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and something about like the, the specificity and specifically like, you know, the, the weird kind of obsession about Harry Anderson uh, mm-hmm. who is, you know, a, a, a magician actor from Night Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, as uh, the of, of the two of us, you're the one who's talked the most about close up magic. Are you are you excited for Harry Anderson to be showing up here in such a, a critical capacity? 
Uh, I was, I, I, no, not, no, I was not, <laughs> but I was delighted to find out that John Egbert is into magic. Uh, that's, that's fun to me. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, and like, that's all to say, like, I'm not even, I, I, I think, uh, I, of the two of us, certainly I'm by far the one who is least interested in David Foster Wallace. <laughs> um, but what's interesting to me, I guess too, is partially that, that this works for me here, whereas I find it unbearable in reading, Wallace and his kind of contemporaries who are, are very much into that, you know, even some of Don DeLillo's kind mm, of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about in White Noise, the uh, the guy who works in the department who just like reads the backs of cereal boxes right. or whatever and does an analysis on them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a similar kind of, and I, I hate to use the word uh, so cavalierly, but a postmodern sensibility here, right? Mm-hmm. That all of these things, even though they are nonsense, they all matter in some ways and they are all important and we should pay attention to them. Um, uh, I just think that 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 what's happening here is really inheriting a, a sensibility out of those things, um, and it could just be that's part of the culture too, right? Like these authors that I'm mentioning, they're just talking about what's happening in the culture, um, and so uh, the the homestuckification of response to culture mm-hmm. could just have a similar vibe. But but yeah, so uh, the the two things maybe that that matter here, right? What do you make of the specificity of Colonel Sassaker's daunting text of magical frivolity and practical japery? Now, is that a reference or is that just a bizarre thing? Well, um, it is a bizarre thing and it is also a reference. We are going to find out that Colonel Sassaker as a character is actually going to recur in certain ways. Um, hmm. and, uh, very, very soon we're going to find out more about Colonel Sassaker. Uh, and this is illuminating. I think also, uh, he is based on Mark Twain. Like what if Mark Twain hmm. was like obsessed with practical jokes and tricks and japes and things like that? Uh, so, you know, you've talked about David Foster Wallace and here sort of interestingly enough, uh, we have the comic slash hussy kind of gesturing at, Uh, Twain, who is, uh, you know, kind of a core American humorist um, and also someone who is uh, known for his ability to write in different dialects or different voices, um, which I think is going to become uh, uh, increasingly important to the story as it goes on. Uh, There are also sort of uh, some things to puzzle over about Twain himself and kind of how he is being echoed in this story uh, that we will talk about as, you know, as the situation warrants. Uh, I'm just saying that there there are some things to complicate here, uh, but Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what is going on. Um, This is one of those things that can be very overwhelming about Homestuck is that it will introduce something like uh, the Sassaker book, and that might never show up again, or it might show up repeatedly. Um, and, you know, not to, to ruin too much for you, Cameron, but like we're going to hear so much about this damn book. Hmm. Uh, the other uh, important thing here is the capture log, mm-hmm. which I hate. I hate every I hate every part of this. I shall read here uh, Hussey's commentary. Uh, well, actually, to, to, you know, jumping off of the point that you made about postmodernism, <clears throat> The characters are often as new to the game constructs and the world around them as the reader player is. This is common logic in game tutorials where characters straddle postmodern awareness of the game mechanics on which they directly or indirectly seek to educate you as well as themselves, strangely. So we have uh, John attempting to understand how to use his inventory system, literally for how to pick things up in his room and carry them around. 
Uh, and uh, how this works is that instead of just picking something up, uh, John capture logs it, which is to say it like become like the thing on the floor becomes a card that floats into the interface of the image sort of over his head uh, and then is put in a sort of deck of other cards. This is called the Silidex. So you've capture logged it into your Silidex and then how the things in your inventory are arranged and how you can access them are determined by particular actual types of data structures from computer science. Uh, <laughs> which is called his modus. Yes. Which is also equipable. Yes, you can change. Like, because you can change them. Yeah, yeah you can yeah, change yeah. your modus. Um, so uh, here is Hussey speaking further. Um, speaking of self-indulgent, the idea of a card-based data structure-themed inventory system was very exciting to me, and I probably occupied some sort of minority in this respect. Though others who know stuff about comp sci, I'm sure, found it similarly titillating, and I can say that this is true. Like, I had uh, friends who were comp sci people, or like, you know, computer programmers who just ate this up. They loved this. Um, but it wasn't quite the ass pull it seems, Hussey continues, as the cards are actually punch cards, the root CAPTCHA has relevance, and really everything revolves around esoteric computing concepts. Yeah, so half of, well, not this opening part, but but a chunk of the opening of Homestuck is just John Egbert trying to figure out how his inventory system that he is aware of works. Mm -hmm. And it is like pulling teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I and I like understand what's happening here. This is not a not a thing of like confusion here, but um I I I get because of the forum nature of it. And well, okay, sorry. Let me let me back up. You have said, you have told me that many people say that uh what act 1 of this is kind of like um uh I I don't know um pointless <laughs> i not you know it, it is uh less important than, than much of the rest of homestuck mm -hmm. and uh i think something that contributes to that it has to do with this like basic conversation that happens between here's how we think that you know the audience the, the forum goer the player this is how we think something works ha 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 this is husty playing the demon saying this is not how it works and then giving us funny responses in that way um, and it feels like churning, just churning pages out. Like it, it, the story barely moves in some ways. Um, and when, when it does move, I think it's really great. Um, I actually think it's really cool, but I, I totally get the sense, uh, that, you know, of that context of what I've been told that like, ah, that just doesn't matter so much because I finished it and also thought it didn't matter too much. Although I'm sure it, it has repercussions for the rest of the world. Like, I, I don't I, I don't care about like uh it's not last in first out but uh maybe FIFO yeah or Philo the Philo system the first in last out mm -hmm. uh, I know all these systems of course because of Magic the Gathering which is, uses a <laughs> LIFO system of resolution for the stack um, so I'm familiar with these in a broad sense uh, or like you know managing arrays or whatever in in um, in making games done a lot of that kind of stuff before but um yeah it's just i hate it i hate every part of it i really like it i still think that this is very funny although i do agree like it, it is not plotty right there is there is going to be a plot to this comic believe it or not it is not totally about a guy trying to manage his inventory system 
Uh, but I think uh, what you're zeroing in on is precisely correct, which is that if you're coming to this as not a, a serial reader, but an archive reader, um, part of the fun of these moves is kind of the pleasure of seeing someone's command go wrong in real time. Mm. There's something about it happening kind of in an archive that that removes some of the amusement from that, I think. Uh, mm -hmm, yeah. And so, you know, the fact that uh, John's Psyllidex uh, uh, is based on, you know, a queue, which means that and he has a limited amount of space, which means that when he picks something up, if he picks up one too many things, then the last thing in the queue shoots out and hits him in the head, uh, mm -hmm. which or flies out the window or whatever. Yes. Um, uh, so. You know, it, it's just sort of like about the obtuseness of the thing. And I still think it's very amusing. And I also think it's extremely thematically important just for Homestuck in general, because as I as I said, with the naming at the very first page, um, the thing to keep in mind here is that uh, computer logic and game logic are structuring this world before the game has even begun. By which I mean the plot of Homestuck is about John and his friends playing a game together. And it has not started yet. So it is really a game within a game. And uh, the kind of weird space between different mediatory frames uh, is going to be very important for Homestuck kind of broadly and... Uh, you know, specifically here, I think what is just notable to keep in mind is that uh, we come to these characters and they are already in some sense uh, ensnared by games and computer logic. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'm a similar space to you in that regard in that I hate reading it. I think it is very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that the kind of scale or or i don't know frames within frames maybe uh kind of the way that you're talking about it i think that's really really fascinating to me that that john's life is is governed by game logic that we are are interacting with that then eventually hops out into another scale where there are basically two people playing john's life mm -hmm. uh, for, for lack of a better word but we'll talk about that in just a bit um the other thing that that happens here at the beginning that's really uh important uh, I think you can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Feel, feels important to me at the beginning is, uh, you know, so on, on the wall is that calendar I was talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it says April. It's it's for our time. It's got the suburb, what we'll learn, or we, we kind of know if you're looking at the, the flyer in the corner. Um, the suburb logo, which is like all these squares put together with a little ha house on it in the sphere. Um, and it says, you know, April 13th uh, is the beta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've marked your birthday, the 13th of April. Another day you marked was supposed to be the arrival date for the highly touted suburb beta launch. And that is a hyperlink. And you you click that hyperlink, it takes you to the original form of Homestuck that was uh, published a few days previous. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so, but this is kind of giving us a vibe of, uh, and certainly this is a reference to the kind of aborted version that existed before. Mm -hmm. um, at least visually in the calendar. But uh, I guess the other major thing that happens here in these these first 48 pages or something like that is Pester Chum. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in addition to, one, uh, waiting for physical discs to show up in the <laughs> mail for a game's beta launch. Because uh, it's 2009, mm -hmm. folks. 
in addition to that, we have a good old fashioned chat client on John's computer called PesterChum. And we get a notification that tells us that uh, one of John's friends is bothering him. And it's a, a fellow named TG. TurnTech Godhead is, is his handle, but uh, he'll go by TG for, for quite a while yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just have like a long text conversation. I didn't. I was curious as to sort of like what your thoughts were about this initial conversation. This is, you know, it's the first uh, conversation in Homestuck, and there are going to be many, many conversations to follow. Oh, I think um, maybe yeah. one other thing to remember <laughs> is that uh, John has a problem sleuth poster on his wall. So MS Paint Adventures exists within the world of Homestuck. Just something to keep in mind. <laughs> Great. Uh, that's that's uh, make me so excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that this really stuck out to me because I've never read, I've seen obviously like Homestuck, um, panels before, and I've tried to read Homestuck before. I don't think I got as far as that we've gotten for, (laughs) certainly for this episode. Um, but, uh, the, what, what strikes me about this chat log is that Hussey has a gift for voice. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very clear to me, like. Uh, the writing that is here so cleanly distinguishes these two people from one another. And it's not just, obviously, it's color-coded and, like, that's happening visually. But the way that these people talk, the kind of cadence of their typing, uh, one, it feels just like AOL Instant Messenger, and that's kind of the the vibe here of uh, what what's being evoked. Feels like that. Feels very accurate to the time period, even though I think AIM was on the way out mm-hmm. by the time this was coming uh, was coming in right like twitter exists in 2009 mm-hmm. um but certainly the 10 years previous or at least like the six or seven years previous dominated by aol instant messenger in this kind of messenger chat client um msn instant messenger is another one mm-hmm. uh, it didn't run well on my computer so i didn't use it but uh but yeah so like you get a really good sense you you get a an extremely good sense of who John Egbert is and and his kind of referential nerdy kind of humor mm-hmm. versus the kind of you know I, I I don't know if this is accurate for the rest of the story but certainly the way that they're written almost like a Channer kind of uh character from Turntech Godhead from TG mm-hmm. um a, a little bit more um I don't know, uh, a little bit more of an asshole, I guess, and a little bit more of trolly kind of behavior. Um, you know, so they have this conversation, right? Yeah. Do you, you want to, you want to read the conversation, like the beginning, the first like six lines or something? Yeah. Um, you want to, you want to be John Egbert? Sure thing. Uh, so I'll, I'll do the narration. Turn tech Godhead began pestering ectobiologist at 1613. TG. Hey, so what sort of insane loot did you rake in today? I got a little Monsters poster. It's so awesome. I'm going to watch it again today. The apple juice scene was so funny. Oh, hell, that is such a coincidence. I just found an unopened container of apple juice in my closet. It is like fucking Christmas up in here. Okay, that's fine. But I just have one question and a word of caution. Have you ever seen a movie called Little Monsters starring Howie Mandel and Fred Savage? But the seal on the bottle is unbroken. Are you suggesting someone put piss in my apple juice at the factory? All I'm saying is, don't you think Monster Howie Mandel has the power to do something as simple as reseal a bottle? Try using your brain, numbnuts. And scene. <laughs> We're not going to be doing that very no. often. But but that gives a sense of like the characterization just in text here is so strong, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like TG 
curses and is willing to play along for the thing, but is willing to be like, you idiot. Like, you, you're stupid. <laughs> um, and uh, John Egbert is a nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's a huge nerd. <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there's a there's a kind of innocence to John uh, that TG yes. lacks. And but we also get, you know, what I think is interesting, the uh, image here is also a little bit animated here. So we get a sense of John's desktop, which is I really love how like 64480 it looks. It's a little bitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got like a, a, a cake file. I don't know what that's meant to be. Uh, uh, yeah. So there, there's a bunch of uh, computer programs that John has tried to make. And the languages he has used are called carrot cake. And uh, and it's like a, a, the, the, the character, literally the carrot, the little pointy up thing, mm-hmm. cake. Uh, and then the other one is called uh, Tildeth. So it's a tilde um, and then A-T-H. Mm, great uh but so we get the little thing on the side and it's got some moves you know it's a little chat window it's got some moves it's got three friends the quote-unquote chum role so it's turn tech godhead a tentacle therapist and garden gnostic mm-hmm. uh, we'll be introduced to some of those later um and, but it looks just like other than that it looks just like aim basically yeah and uh so a, a fun fact about this first chat log uh is that it is an edited version of a real chat log um that hussy had with a friend so there's all this so we're not we're not going through this just to belabor all these little pieces but uh but certainly here at the beginning and part of the reason why i wanted to go slow a little bit here at the top is that all of the pieces seem to matter Mm -hmm. and i think that this is what is so alluring to people it is pure speculation i'm not a homestuck historian I was not around at the time doing this, but it seems like what is so alluring is that all the pieces seem to matter and they matter until they don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a part of media at the time. We have to got to remember that this is at the middle of um, or kind of coming toward the end of Lost, right? Yeah. Um, Which is the, uh, you, you know, the media event in which all the things matter until they don't. Uh, this is also way into, um, I think, reality TV, particularly something like Survivor, mm-hmm. where the whole point of something like Survivor uh, is that it's a competitive show that is totally dependent on you sitting at home and aligning yourself and quote unquote playing along with what the, the people are doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you're not making decisions for them or anything like that, but but I remember really distinctly remember survivor in the first few seasons being a big part of it being is what they're saying here a lie or is it not a lie or are they going to get into an alliance with someone else uh, and how is that going to show up in the vote are we going to get tricked in the vote when all the things either matter or don't matter um similarly american idol has been going for a very long time which is you know somehow forgotten about all the time when we think about uh, you know, big participatory games, you know, it, it's literally the game of media manipulation. You mm-hmm. know, can you get people to call in and vote? And it's all based on the fantasy that you too could go and become a part of this game. So uh, it, in some ways, Homestuck, while being talked about as like, you know, this big gamish kind of thing that that spirals out into a big uh, shared reality, it's really coming quite late, I would say, in media forms that go on to become a big part of shared reality, because we'd spent the past mm, 10 years or so, give or take, in big mass media forums that are doing this exact same thing, uh, that are that are in fact dominant 
Um, and then some of those continue to the day until today. I, the bachelor and the bachelorette, those kinds of logics of alignment and Mm -hmm. those kinds of competitive shows that are about, um, increasingly like hoodwinking people. Um, those are, those are really, really important. I was just watching or not watching, but watch the advertisement for, uh, F boy Island. Are you familiar (laughs) with this, Michael? <laughs> it's a real show. <laughs> this sounds like something from the damn comic. It does. That's what I was just. Uh, that's what I was thinking about. I was like, "Holy shit!" F Boy Island sounds like a thing that would be in Homestuck. Okay, so here's. I I might not have the rules exactly right, but I will briefly summarize. Three women are on an island, like an island resort, with oh, let's say twenty men. I don't know how, exactly how many, and everyone is super hot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Half of those men, it's a dating show, kind of like The Bachelorette or something like that. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're all going to go on dates and people are going to get voted off one by one. So it's half The Bachelorette, half a game of Mafia. Okay? <laughs> like the online forum game. You know, or Among Us, for example. Because half of the men are there to really find love, blah, blah, blah. You know, The Bachelor, Bachelorette kind of thing. Half of the men are there. They're just F-boys, Michael. All they are interested in is like hooking up. And and at the end of the show, people get money if they're the last one standing. And so there's this kind of like audience participation of will it be someone who's truly there for love who gets the money at the end and, and, and gets the date? you know, or whatever the relationship, or will it be an F boy who does not want the relationship at all and is just in it for the money? <laughs> I mean, so the question, of course, is, is F boy Island Homestuck? <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying, right? You know, yeah. that's, that's an elaborate thing. That's a real thing, by the way. I did not make that up. That's uh, It's on HBO, HBO Max, I guess. If people want to go check that out, I haven't seen any of it. I cannot speak to its quality in any kind of way. But that's all to say that uh, Homestuck, I think, in the biggest, broadest thinking that that I have about this, is actually not particularly unique. It's unique that it all kind of holds together and has its own community. And I think that's all special and in particular fan production that comes along later. But as far as like what's happening here about kind of gamifying reality mediation, pulling all of these real world things into kind of, you know, what McKinsey work would call game space mm-hmm. logic. You know, you can go and listen to our game study study buddies episode on that. If you're curious, all of those things are happening at the time. Homestuck is actually maybe just a little piece of that is perhaps not as special as we would want to think it is um, because that was happening to culture broadly in the early two thousands and it's continued apace and only accelerated mm-hmm. uh, since that time. So that's, that's my long pitch for, Interesting to think about Homestuck in its context in that way. For me now, kind of only engaging with it um, after the fact. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super fascinating and, and really on point. And to kind of take the opposite direction then, uh, reading Homestuck live uh, as a serial reader, um, I guess I should also say, like, I enjoyed Problem Sleuth. I was, I already said I wasn't really hanging out on the forums because um, I was not like super into Problem Sleuth. Problem Sleuth was fun to read. And I started Homestuck similarly like, oh, this is, this is fun to read. 
Uh, and I'll talk about it when it happens, but there's like a point where Homestuck really locks me in, uh, where, where I start mm -hmm. to sort of like start thinking, oh, I think something else is happening here. Uh, but here early on, it's just fun. Uh, but the thing that struck me as very special in that time was precisely these kinds of chat logs with uh, TG here at the beginning. Uh, mm -hmm. because just, you know, the, to full projection, full autobiography, I was kind of a kid who grew up online, right? I was, mm -hmm. uh, 12 years old and I had my friends on AIM and I would talk to like school friends on AIM, but I was also going into chat rooms and I was meeting other kids who were online in AOL chat rooms and we were forging friendships. We were talking to each other daily for years, uh, and I was also doing this like with adults. Uh, I was hanging out in the Stephen King AOL chat room with like all of these kind of like, you know, women in their 30s and 40s who <laughs> were also hanging out in the Stephen King chat room, like people who were basically like my mom's cohort. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Same, uh, same. I, not the exact same scenario here, but uh, very similar. Yeah, very similar. So, uh, you know, the, the thing that really struck me about Homestuck was seeing this kind of mode of friendship represented in fiction that I had never like that I had experienced as an actual person, but had, I had never read a story where people were friends like this, uh, where kids were meeting each other in this way um, and carrying on these sort of like bizarre, entirely online mediated, very long distance friendships where you could get like really close and into like some bizarre thing that, you know, uh, I went to a, a very small, uh, school in rural Indiana. So uh, if I wanted to talk about something like web comics and how weird web comics could be, I was basically the only person I knew in real life who knew what web comics were and was into them in the way that I was. And so I found other people online uh, who were similarly into them. And those are, you know, that, that was how I was making friendships. And so there is uh, something fascinating about Homestuck in that I don't think this is particularly unique today. I think that this is probably much more common in fiction. Um, but at the time, it was just like, I have never seen anything tell a story that seems so close to my like social reality in, in this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that I, I very much agree with that. I, I, I think, you know, part of the interesting thing about reading Homestuck for me is it's kind of like the other universe. And you and I have talked about this before, right? That, that there is like a, like a percentage chance that we just became each other, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> like, like if things just happened and you know what I mean? Like in just slightly different ways, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, there are ways because we have very similar kind of backgrounds in that way. I would say that one of the big differences, and I know that you've talked about this a little bit before, but one of the big differences is that I very much grew up online and, and had a very similar relationship, but my access to the internet, I think, was much more limited to the, much more limited than yours. And so I ended up spending a lot more time with video games, which did not require internet access at the time, um, than I think you did at that same age. So, you know, I played Metal Gear Solid like 15,000 times, and I played through... Final mm -hmm. Fantasy 7, 8, 9, a billion times because uh, we didn't have internet all the time. And I know that you've talked about it at some point um, on one of these shows, or maybe you and I have had this conversation before. I don't feel like this is telling, t telling tales out of school or any way. But, uh, you know, that uh, when you had, like, economic difficult times in your family, the internet would be the first thing you would cut off. Yeah. 
Um, and some similar thing for us, right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and when we did have it, I am from an extremely rural area on a, on a back road essentially. Um, and like the internet wasn't good when we did have it. And so, um, you know, my internet connection time, uh, occasionally I'd be at my grandparents' house who for some reason purchased a computer in like 1995 hmm. And so this is like the early 2000s, but I'm, and I'm playing in like a Windows 95 or like, you know, looking at things on a Windows 95 computer. But like this is when, for example, I played Fallout. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did it on that. And I had we had Internet connectivity, but I spent spent a lot of time on that, like reading Final Fantasy fan forums. And um, I've talked about that on other shows before about being banned mm-hmm. from uh <laughs> from Final Fantasy forums for role-playing too much. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but doing that kind of stuff, reading Final Fantasy um, websites. The other thing when I had free time, what would I think maybe was your Homestuck f- uh, free time? What My Homestuck free time at that point was... Um, or, or I, Homestuck came late, I, later for both of us, I think. Obviously, we were not like 12 years old mm-hmm. when, the sh- when this came out. But when I was at the appropriate age of aligning with something like Homestuck, I was reading a lot of like Pink Floyd fan forums (laughs) that were about like interpreting the songs of Pink Floyd. That was a big part of my internet usage time. (laughs) And then reading things like Stephen King uh, websites, but not weirdly enough, like Stephen King fan forums. I was much more reading like like full essays that people were writing, like connecting everything together mm-hmm. um, and, and stuff like that. So like when, when Homestuck came around, I had a similar thing of like when, when I interacted with it or saw it or whatever, I was like, Oh, this is like an interesting thing about like the world that I live in or in the world that I kind of grew up in. Um, but I didn't, I don't think I had enough internet connectivity despite spending a lot of time on online. I didn't have enough internet connectivity for me to be like, Oh, this is a story that's kind of about how I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I think I would have been much more of a, um, if I'd gotten connected to video game web comics, that would have been the place where I would have found that, that kind of storytelling. But weirdly enough, uh, the, the, <laughs> the reason I didn't connect, I think now in retrospect with video game web comics is that they were just way too middle class. Yeah. I was just like, I don't, what are you talking about? You're playing a brand new video yeah. game every week. Like, what are you talking about? Like, and you're reading this news all the time. Like, how do you even have the time to keep up with this? And this is like me in my 20s thinking this. Or like when I'm like 17, 18, 19, I was like, what are you talking about? Like when I got to college, uh, Fallout 3 came out. And it like, I, I remember like doing a really circuitous route around with like excess student loans <laughs> to buy an Xbox off of eBay and buy Fallout 3. Uh, and you know like not being able to eat for a week or whatever uh because i i <laughs> did that and and so like up until i was like a grown-ass adult um uh i did not have the ability to like keep up with video games in that way so like reading penny arcade <laughs> i was just like what, what is going on like who can afford this who can live this life of video game pleasures that you experience that is fascinating uh, i had never put that together but yeah exact same i remember being in like high school and early college and like i was like you know i buy three video games a year 
or something, right? If even yeah. that, and I have to like think very hard about what I'm going to get. And it's, I'm not getting these things new. I'm getting them months after the fact. And I have always thought that it was kind of weird that I, even though I was huge into web comics, I was never into gaming web comics. And you're exactly right, which is just like my relationship to games wasn't moving at that pace. It felt totally sort of alien to me in that way. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The and yeah, and you know, uh I I I think for the most part, I'm having a hard time and I'm sure that this happened, right? But um for the most part, I got new video games, just any type type of new video game. For the most part, that's a thing you got at Christmas. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Christmas and um, birthday is how I would I would stagger it. My birthday is so close to Christmas that I often did not get like unique birthday gifts. You know, it's just kind of a thing. I'm Born working. in June, gang, um, represent. Yeah, yeah. fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but but you know that kind of thing um, happened. But you know, I had a couple friends who would get games quite often, um, and uh, so you know, like when they were done playing it. Of course, like you could hang out, especially in like middle school, you know, you go over when the game comes out and you like play it those weekends and that's it. Or like when they have beaten the game, oh, you get to borrow it for a while. You can trade some games around or whatever. So I always got to um, always got to like experience new games in a general sense, certainly in like the year that they came out. Um, but th at the same time I was reading, I, funnily enough, I was not playing a huge amount of video games, but I was reading a lot of video game magazines. <laughs> um, you know, that was the kind of thing where like. When when my parents got paid, I could like go and buy the new EGM, mm -hmm. you know, for four bucks or whatever at the grocery store. And like that was my connection to games culture. So I always kind of felt like I was a part of it, although this hyper it was this hyper, you know, kind of old games journalism, you know, kind of thing. But um, anyway, that's a that's a long uh, <laughs> detour down the path. But I think Homestuck actually invites this kind of long detour mm -hmm. because it is so of a time and of a place and particularly evocative of, um, you know, a, a moment in time. And and I think to think about what Homestuck was at the moment, you have to think about where were you and where was the world? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, I, I don't think you can just kind of put it in the, in the given moment of 2021. I, in fact, think it wouldn't make a lot of sense in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else to talk about in this uh, kind of opening gambit here? Uh, just a, a few little things that happen. Uh, uh, TG and John have another conversation about specifically a, a new game construct uh, that is not the game that they're waiting for, which uh, is, is Spurb uh, or Suburb. I've heard people pronounce it both ways, and I've, I've always been a Spurb guy. Um, so that What have I said so far? Suburb. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, in my it's really funny that I've said suburb in my head. I've said suburb. <laughs> well, that was closer, I think, <laughs> to spurb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it yeah. is. I think uh, weird. But uh, so uh, TG explains uh, not only is there an inventory system, but there's a weapon system, uh, specifically their kind of strata. Uh, and John set, he picks up a hammer and, uh, TG explains how to set it to his kind of strata, which means that from this point forward, if John uses a weapon, it has to be a hammer. And we get like, uh, you know, very, uh, video gamey, very world buildy. Uh, when the kind of strata thing comes up, you can see they're, they're all called kind, 
uh it's like broom mm -hmm. so john's is hammer kind but there's also like broom kind for people who use brooms as weapons poker kind ice pick kind golf club kind uh spatula kind uh blade kind firework kind yes uh the one that is uh, uh that hussy points out in the commentary is fancy santa kind uh which is a <laughs> reference to a another kind of like blog post forum thing that that hussy did which was uh the other thing that hussy loves is like cultural weirdness so like furries and uh and specifically when i talk about furries here we need to think again about 2009 and the ways that furries were talked about and thought about online which i think is hugely different now uh than it was back in 2009 like just a world of difference like we are chill with furries now whereas in 2009 it's like oh you're a furry you're banned from our forum kind of stuff yeah, it was uh, definitely not a subculture. It, it was a subculture to be pointed at and laughed at. You know, I, I think more recently bronies have occupied that kind of space. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what it is like in, in the year 2021, you know, the, the kind of Internet subculture that gets pointed at and, uh, you know, treated as like the absolute pariah. I don't know what it is. I And I don't think I'm in those spaces anymore uh, to know who it is we're supposed to pick on right now. But um, certainly forum culture broadly thrived on the idea that there was a particular kind of group you needed to be able to poke fun at. Mm -hmm. And something awful in particular kind of pioneered that move, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, the, the contra-furry movement. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you can you can sense some of this stuff already through kind of like zoo smells. And The Manimals is a uh, another comic that uh, Hussey did that I didn't really talk about. But it's about uh men who are also types of animals um mm. and some of them have udders anyway uh one of the other things that hussy so like there's that right kind of like the online cultural weirdness in the kitsch uh and then very much kind of offline stuff uh so uh the like there's a type of uh, like Christmas decoration that you can buy that's like this is a statue of Santa Claus only it's not just like a jolly fat man in a red outfit but it's like trying to look like old and uh sort of like regal or majestic right Santa's not just wearing it's not just a uh, red it's kind of like a blue velvet kind of thing and it's like long and flowing and he's got like a pointy wizard hat or something you know sort of uh it's trying to evoke some kind of like pre-coca-cola Santa Claus this is like I'm, I'm bringing this up because it's it, you're we're going to see kind of reflections of it in, in various ways in the comic going forward. Uh, this tendency to uh, of Hussey to kind of like latch on to like these weird little cultural objects or kind of like a class of cultural objects and just uh, talk about them until they're hilarious. Right. There is nothing funny to me inherently about the fan the fancy Santa. Um, but like the second Hussey points out, it's like, have you ever noticed these fancy Santas and how there's just like a whole like field of human production dedicated to uh, generating statues and images of fancy Santas? It's like, yeah, that is really weird. Uh, and then, of course, Hussey is like yeah, here, like, what if that were also a weapon? What if you could fight with those things? Um, although it's it's never realized, unfortunately, uh, but it's just a nice little joke here. So John does that. Uh, he also reads an issue of Game Bro magazine, uh, which is <laughs> a parody of uh, games journalism, print games journalism mm -hmm. of that time. It is literally a, a magazine 
uh, about video games written entirely by a, a bro character, a bro character circa 2009. So he talks about like his friend Dennis coming over to watch The Dark Knight. So this is 2009. I'm in college. Like there are guys who live across the hall from me who are total bros and are constantly having their friends over to watch uh, either The Dark Knight or The Departed. <laughs> right like this is a type of guy in 2009 <laughs> the uh, a slightly different type of guy but a similarly important type of guy is the v for vendetta guy uh-huh that that was in that universe yeah too, I think. that's sort of like that's that's the more the channer like inclination there i think i no, oh. it was mainstream as oh, well okay i mean i'm certainly I'm, I'm sure that there was some crossover there but there to the extent that i remember in my freshman dorm there was a uh, like a fifth of November party that was put on that many people attended. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe maybe it's regional too. You yeah. never know. Uh, <laughs> I, I was the type of guy at that time. I I had gotten really deeply uh, into like. Um, like underground cinema, but like not underground in the way that anyone would think about that now. So I wasn't watching like Mondo films or anything, <laughs> but I was into like horror films from other countries, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like 18 and, and I don't know anything. So I would carry around a DVD player oh my and God. a pirated version of the, of the copy. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't carry it around all the time, <laughs> but if someone said, Hey, let's watch a movie. I would say, Hey, have you seen this movie wreck? <laughs> It's it's in Spanish. <laughs> Hold on, let me go get my region free DVD player. And I would go get it, and I would bring my copy, my pirated copy of Wreck, and I would say that I made probably twenty five people watch that. Wow! Over the course of like a year, yeah, it was extremely annoying. I apologize to everyone I did that too, but uh, actually, I don't. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> you, you, I bettered your lives. I'm, I'm, I apologize for nothing. It is so funny um, that you mentioned but. specifically that film, because <clears throat> I also I remember pirating that movie at this time and I remember hating it. Oh, it's great. Go back to but it. But that's because I hate zombie stories. So, yeah, it's not a zombie story. It's a curse story. I know. And I hate like that. It uh, works backward into a zombie story from that. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, I'm wasting your time reading Homestuck. Should <laughs> you got to read film studies? I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, I know what a good movie is. Jeez. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I actually don't like this like game bro thing. Uh, I, I guess it, I don't, was it funny at the time? I mean, did you read this and you were like, hell yeah. I think the bar was much lower for what you had to do to be funnier here. Cause <laughs> I, I agree. This feels kind of lukewarm and tepid. Those are the same. Those are the same thing. Those are two words that mean the same thing. Why did I do that? <laughs> it's thin. It's thin and tepid. Thin. Yeah. Um, he creates this like disguise. There's a lot of item combination, a lot of adventure game stuff going on here. Um, and yeah, that's, but that's it. That's kind of what happens. Oh, I was going to say, so like, I mean, the, the important thing about, uh, the Spurb review is that it tells us that it has, the game has something to do with like houses, uh, and it's kind mm -hmm. of compared to a dollhouse. Uh, so something is going on there, but John puts on a disguise because he needs to go out and check to see if he has gotten his Spurb beta disc. Uh, and in order to leave his room, he will have to interface in some way with his dad, uh, who we have not met, but we get the sense that, uh, John finds his dad kind of annoying. And so he puts on this weird little disguise with the Beagle Puss glasses and a, a wizard hat, and he sets out in into the house. And that's kind of where we leave off for now. Mm hmm. That's the end of episode one, part one, Michael. Mm hmm. 
Uh, we are Range Touch. You can find us on Twitter at Range Touch. Uh, you can support us on Patreon uh, if you like. Uh, patreon.com slash range touch this show exists because of patrons uh patreon support we reached a goal and now here we are if you want to continue to support us and uh help us do this really weird undertaking uh you know head on over and chip in you'll get other things uh it's not just like us making the show please give us money there are actually things that you get there are uh, other shows that we do too much future uh which is the show where cameron and i are playing through the fallout series and critically discussing them uh it's sort of a combination of what we're doing here kind of a book club plus a let's play kind of format uh, uh in a way um and that's a show on youtube you can check it out there but if you want a podcast feed that's under the the three dollar tier in patreon um we also have just king things which is our uh reading stephen king in publication order and talking about it uh those episodes are free to all but the five dollar level on patreon will get you our just King Things bonus episodes where we talk about Stephen King movies or media objects adaptations in some way and those are always a great time um if you also if you're interested in kind of the video game thing you should also check out Mages and Murder Dads which is what Cameron and Danny do where they play through uh the Baldur's Gate games then kind of the games in the Baldur's Gate lineage and now you're kind of branching out into like with with uh that you just uh, completed uh Disco Elysium um so like the games that are in the Baldur's Gate's lineage's lineage cuz that's really mm-hmm. kind of a torment game yeah uh, look, we don't want to get too fine-grained about it. The, the uh, But yeah, we just finished up, as you said, Disco Elysium. We got a couple more episodes on Disco Elysium coming out. We're going to do a special episode on the final cut, the kind of additions that happen there. That won't be... Uh, no, that no, that won't be out uh, when this comes out, but it'll actually be coming very soon. And our next game is going to be Icewind Dale. So if you want to come hear us talk through Icewind Dale, uh, you can check out Mages and Murder Dads on YouTube. And if you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please make sure to rate us five stars. We want people to listen to the show. Uh, This is a show that only increases by word of mouth. You did not hear any advertisement. It is entirely uh, listener-supported. And the two ways of supporting us are, of course, money, which we thank everyone for, uh, over on patreon.com slash range touch. But the other way is simply telling people about the show. If you don't know anything about Homestuck and you thought that this first episode is an interesting entree and you're interested in continuing to listen... Tell people about it. Literally just tweeting or putting on Facebook or putting on your Instagram or getting on TikTok or literally anything, getting on Reddit and saying something about it. All of those things uh, are helpful for helping the show move forward. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or some other thing with a rating system, rate us the highest possible that you can. And uh, in addition to that, please take the five seconds that it will take you and uh and spread the word a little bit um we we do this show because people want to hear it and we want as many people to hear it as possible and uh you know um i don't i don't want to have to take out a facebook ad you know uh, <laughs> for this I, podcast know, the, for this podcast i don't want to have to do it so so if you tell people about it i won't be forced to do it If you listen to us this far, you're probably wondering about release schedules. Well, the next part of episode one should show up in your podcast feed in two weeks. We are going to try to aim for an every other week release here. Uh, And at the end of every part, I will give you the page number for where we are reading in kind of the next chunk. So you can follow along if you like. And also just a word on those page numbers. 
there are two pagination systems for Homestuck. One is kind of the old version where Homestuck was counted as part of uh, all of MSPA. So it was counted as, you know, coming after Problem Sleuth and all of those pages were counted into the, the numeration. Uh, we are using the new style, which is what you'll find on the Homestuck website. It's how they're referenced in the print books, and it's also how they are uh, defaulted to paginate in the unofficial Homestuck archive, uh, where everything is just, you know, the first page is page one and it goes on from there. So those are the numbers that I will be referencing for our reading chunks uh, moving forward. Uh, and if you want to follow along, thanks so much. Thank you for being here. See you in part two yeah. of episode one. Theme song.